Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, we've been looking at Exodus and going through the different chapters of Exodus, and we kind of jumped through uh, some of the chapters from around 25 to 20, uh, well, up to 30 and 31, actually. Uh, we did not go through them entirely. They're, some people will see them as somewhat monotonous, uh, and they don't understand them. They are full of symbolism, just like we've said before with, and we've been showing with the other chapters that we've been going through, you know, bit by bit. And, uh, and that symbolism is, uh, is difficult to follow in those particular chapters. And many of the things that they're sharing with you, you know, with the construction of the temple and, and all that, are so symbolic that you really need to get your feet wet with uh, some of the other more obvious symbolism of the Bible and the metaphors and the rituals that they have before you try to tackle those particular chapters. Uh, and so we will be revisiting them since I have done them. I've already been adding to the side notes of those so they that when we go back to revisit those, uh, that maybe we can make more sense out of why they're doing what they're doing. One of the big things that we talk about a great deal is the fact that people uh, unmoor the rituals uh, and they end up worshiping the ceremony rather than the message that is meant and, and sometimes tied up in the ceremonies. But if you don't understand some of the very basics way back at the beginning when God is first talking to the people through Moses and he's talking about the construction of his altars and we emphasized it when we went through that section is that everything brought to the altar of God has to be a free will offering. Everything has to be a free will offering that is brought to the offering of God, uh, to the altars of God. If it's not a free will offering, then it's it's tainted. It's it's not righteous. It's wrong. It's an abomination. And this and that fact alone is the distinction between the bondage of Egypt and being free souls under God. As free souls under God, we are still in a form of bondage. We still have to deal with gravity. We still have to deal with flesh and blood. We still have to eat. We still have to, you know, protect ourselves from too much heat and too much cold. And we're in bondage to the laws of nature. And nature's God. But within that bondage, there's a great deal of freedom. And one of those great freedoms is the freedom of choice. And we're going to see as we go through the chapter today and uh, revisit chapter 32. Because we went through 32 already. And uh, 
we did it in our afternoon show, and we'll, we'll either, we either have them up or we will have those recordings. I guess we do have the part of that recording up already, and uh, you can go back. But uh, I've added to it, and the reason I end up adding sometimes is as we go into chapter 33 and 34 and 35, uh, we can go back and we can see more clarification. It's just the way that God is presenting it to me, so... If I try to put everything into one show about 30, you know, chapter 32, it is a huge uh, a block of information. And so you'll miss a great deal. But if you've gone back, and you can do that now, is go back and listen to a lot of the audios that we've already done, you know, going back to Exodus 1 and and how they got into the bondage of Egypt and and all that, and we review that actually on the page itself uh, at Preparing You. You can go there and follow along. We have a picture there of the golden calf on on the page thirty uh, Exodus thirty two. And I ask the question: Is is the golden calf superstition or idolatry? And uh, the word superstition there is a live link, and the word golden calf is a live you know, link to another article. And the word idolatry is a link to another article. And for the last week, that's what I've been doing is is creating actually numerous, numerous sections or articles or article sections, you know, like they'll mention stiff neck and they'll, they'll mention ornaments in uh, chapter 33. And my experience is that almost nobody understands what these words mean. Superficially, they understand what they mean. But I can see over the ages, and I've gone back and I've read commentaries that go back a hundred years and more. I've gone back and read, uh, you know, commentaries, Jewish commentaries that, uh, that probably go back centuries. And, uh, they, they skirt around it. And they don't seem to get what it is. There is a classical interpretation of what those ornaments are. But they are missing the symbolism. And those of you who have been following for a while, we know the word liver doesn't always mean liver. Uh, it's actually the same word as honor. Uh, we know that the word uh, kidney doesn't always mean kidney. It can also mean the reins of control. We know that an altar doesn't mean a pile of stones necessarily. It can include the meaning of a pile of stones, but it also can be a council of men. And it just goes on and on. Leaven isn't just yeast. There is a word that is leaven, and the same word can also mean cruel and even oppressive actions. And so when they talk about getting the leaven out of your house, they're talking about getting that cruelty out of your house. And they will talk in uh, chapter 33 about putting off the ornaments. And if you want to approach God, and of course, the ritual has become to take off jewelry. And uh, they say we have to take off this jewelry. But that's not what the word really means. If you take off the jewelry... And you don't take or put off, remove from your own heart and mind what the ornament really stands for, then you've done nothing. You've done a ritual, 
but you have done nothing to make it even slightly safer to approach God. As a matter of fact, the whole concept of the altars and what they are is uh, preparing you so that you may be drawn near God. And in 33, we'll also see that, you know, there's a great deal of talk about that. If you get too close to God and you you are not uh, prepared to do so, you haven't put off the ornaments from your heart and your mind, then you, you're, you're in danger of death. You're in danger of being consumed. And there's, there's several words that they have floating around that they translate into consume. And they don't always mean consume as we think of it. Uh, but we'll cover that when we get to it. So, in going back to chapter 32, and actually I, I will make some references to chapter 24 because that's part of Jordan Peterson's episode 12. And as I go through episode 12, I see the missing points over and over and over again. They get a lot of stuff. I pick up some information that's really good. I'm, I'm taking uh, copious notes on that and eventually hope to be releasing maybe even videos on the subject. But what they're missing is what a lot of people have been missing for centuries and centuries, which is why the world is in such a mess that it is in today. It is why we are approaching things like, you know, what's supposedly in Revelation. And while you don't have any control over that in relationship to the rest of the world, you do have control over that current of society moving towards destruction by your own choices. But you need to know what those choices are. And if you understood Exodus 24 and Exodus 32 and the whole the message of Moses from beginning to end, it you know, the Torah is absolutely a fascinating book. Uh, mathematically, you know, there there's like a code in it, you can count out letters and you can find patterns in the letters. You can count out words and find patterns in the words. But if you read it, it's a divinely inspired book. Uh, I have no doubt that the authors who wrote it down were divinely inspired. But uh, in most cases, they were divinely inspired, some more so than others. There's always levels to that inspiration. Moses' Torah is probably the most amazing of all the books of the Bible. But it took Jesus to clarify it because during the centuries that people were using the Torah and the other books of the Bible were coming along, there was an apostasy always present where people were moving away from actually worshiping this spiritual God of creation and began to worship their theologies, their doctrines, their interpretations of these sacred scripts. And I will even say that there are other scripts out there written by other people that I also believe were divinely inspired. And uh, if I ever get through the entire Bible... <laughs> 
and going through all those pages, maybe we can start going through some of those. Occasionally I've made references to some of those in other books to show you that, because this is one of the things that Jordan Peterson points out, that, you know, people say you're reading stuff into the Bible that just isn't there. And since a great deal of it, somebody was asking, I was talking to somebody just this week, and they were asking kind of a hypothetical question. Why why is everything cloaked in this symbolism? I mean, the the whole language of Hebrew, because they have so many words that can have two meanings. We have a lot of that in English, but we don't even notice it in English because of the fact that we speak English. And somebody will say a word that sounds just like, or maybe is spelled just like, or maybe it is the same word, but it has multiple meanings. You know, I heard a comedian talking about, you know, he had this whole routine where he's describing this relationship with people at work and this girl and all this stuff. And every single sentence, almost every single phrase in the sentence was some sort of food (laughs) that uh, that had a double meaning that where we talk about that you know that you know I ate that up you know we say somebody said something and you ate it up well you didn't eat it up I mean you didn't actually chew it Uh, chewing well think about that chew on that for a while we we use that nobody's thinking chew on what what is he talking about you know we understand that they are metaphors because we, we speak English. But we don't speak Hebrew. And when it's translated, we don't always see those connections. And we begin to rely on the translators to say, does this word mean liver here? Or does it mean fatten? <laughs> does this word mean a kidney here? Or does it mean reins of control? Does this word mean jewelry, ornaments? Or does it mean something else? Does this word mean leaven? Or does this mean anger and cruelty? You know, what do these words actually mean in the context of what they're written down in this scripture? Well, this is, it was written for other people who are also receiving revelation from God. If you're going to read a revealed work, especially one so full of symbolism, you have to be divinely inspired in order to understand it. If you just try to understand it with the tree of knowledge, you know, I'm going to look up all the Hebrew words and I'm going to study and study and the endless study, forever study and never coming to a knowledge of the truth because to come to the knowledge of the truth, you have to be divinely inspired. You individually have to be divinely inspired. And from what I've seen so far of their episode 12, the, there is some inspiration in everybody. I believe everybody is somewhat divinely inspired. Uh, but the degree of that varies quite a bit. But in their episode 12, they're missing some of the very basic fundamentals, which I just mentioned at the beginning of this show, is that all the things that you offer at the altars of God at the tabernacle of God has to be a free will offering. Because 
for years, you lived in the social safety net of Egypt. That's, as a matter of fact, the social safety net of Egypt is how you went into captivity. Now, when you first went into captivity as Israelites, and that's the way Jews always refer to it, they, we went into captivity. They, they connect themselves, not to just to the Jews today, but to those Israelites that went into captivity, which was basically one family. They went into captivity because a pharaoh, who was not a ruler over all the people of Egypt, all the people of Egypt were not in bondage yet. We see in Genesis that they went into bondage at this same famine, along with the Israelites and along with a lot of other people. They went into bondage to the pharaoh, where they owed 20% of their labor to the pharaoh. They went into that bondage because they ate at the table of Pharaoh. They got the free bread of Pharaoh. They consumed the free bread of Pharaoh. They chewed on the free bread of Pharaoh. And they went into captivity because the deal was, I will just give you this bread now because you're out, your money's gone, your land is gone, your animals are literally used up, you haven't killed them all, but you have nothing else to give. But I will just give you free bread. But you have to promise to give me 20% of your labor. You have to consent to giving me 20% of your labor from now on. And, and Joseph put that ceiling limit that it was not to ever be more than 20% of their labor. But somehow or other, this, this bondage became grievous. And the people were suffering under it because of other things that were being brought in. And I believe that those, as we went through this, some of those things that were brought in, were brought in because the people were becoming weaker and weaker under this system, this social safety net of free bread from men who exercise authority. This always, throughout history, has a tendency to weaken the people. It did in Sodom. It did in Rome. Uh, during the time of Polybius and Augustus Caesar, and the people got weaker and weaker. And we see that with the people of Egypt. But in Egypt, they, they seem to have a thing for the Israelites. They didn't, they, they seem to be persecuting them, putting heavier burdens upon them. But the heavier burdens made them stronger. But not strong enough to set themselves free. But Moses came to show them the road to liberty under God. And that's what the text is really about. And a lot of people miss it because of preconceived notions and because of this symbolism and because it requires sacrifice on your part, Corbin on your part, which is free will sacrifice. The Corbin of Christ is a free will sacrifice in order for you to draw near God to receive his divine revelation, in order for you to see through this subterfuge and misinformation that is out there. And so... That, that's one of the, so we're just going to talk about it today, but if you really want to see the whole truth, you have to become a doer of the word. And, and we will go over a lot of that and what they're missing in their episode 12 later, when I've gone all the way through it and see what their culmination, because they may start discovering more and more things. Because some of the people on the panel are, are pretty close to the kingdom of heaven. Like what we see, with the Pharisee who came to Jesus at night. 
and Jesus said he, he was not far from the kingdom, but he still had to understand more. And we're all in that journey. This is why Christ said, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we're going to do a quick review of uh, a few of the things that I've added to chapter 32. And uh, then we'll get right into chapter 33, which is chock full of all kinds of additional information. <laughs> but... Uh, in this process, in order to really understand these things, because I'm going to be saying things that you haven't heard before. I'm going to say things that are contradicting a lot of what is out there. I've been reading all the commentaries, and it's amazing where they keep going. And if you make one little mistake early on, on any journey, it can take you way off course. Once you're off the trail... You can get lost in the forest really quick. And so you don't want to get lost in the forest. So you, you have to start remembering that. And like I said, way back at the beginning in Exodus, in Jordan Peterson's uh, seminar, they have not yet realized that the altars of God are not burnt up. I mean, Jordan actually said it about 50 minutes into when... Uh, ben Shapiro pointed out that the golden calf didn't fall into a pit like the movie. That Moses fired up the furnaces and put the golden calf in the furnace. And when he did that, somehow or other, he turned it into powder. And he made the people eat it. Well, Jordan points out and says, so yeah, they, he burned it because it had to be an offering to God. But you don't burn up gold. You put gold in a furnace, it just melts down and it's more gold. <laughs> it's still it's still the same gold. It doesn't go away, unless I mean, unless you got a nuclear furnace or something. It's still there. Well, he touched right on it. All the sheep that they were burning up, all the sacrifices they're burning up, they're not actually setting them on fire. They don't they don't need piles of unhewn stone to burn up sheep. If you go back to Abraham, Abraham created a whole army to defeat uh, a menacing foe, an army, you know, like the China invaded or something. He was able to defeat them overnight. How did he do that? Because they burned up sheep together? This is what bound the people together? So understanding the bands and the bonds of society is really what Moses is making the distinction of. And they're getting so close in their episodes. But it's not important whether they get close. It's important that you get close. And so that's where we're going to help, help you get back on the path and show you these things. So in, in that Exodus 32, I've, I've changed the text underneath the, uh, the picture there of the golden calf and I've added more links and I've, I've changed that text. Uh, it's actually now partly a, uh, a template that shows up on a number of pages, but I've changed it and gone over it and rehoned it and rehoned it, and I have all those links in that as supportive links. And we're going to talk about several other supportive links that we're going to have in order to understand 33. And even though we may go through 33 entirely today, Exodus 33, there will still be more additions that I did not put in yet, but I will put in later as we get into subsequent chapters because they will they will bring us back 
to 33, just as they will bring us back to 32. But they always go back to either you're supporting your system by free will offerings or not. We'll, we'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, the golden calf was not superstition. It was a form or a beginning of idolatry. We think of idolatry as people worshipping statues. And you make a golden statue and everybody bows down and worships it and say, Hail statue, or hail this, or hail that. And they make it a god. And what is a god? A god is a ruling judge. A ruling judge is somebody... Or something that makes choices for you. It decides for you. It's a ruling judge. That's what a God is. So what was happening is they were putting their wealth that they had a right and uh, given to them by Moses and given to them by God. They could choose how to spend their wealth, how to use their wealth, whether to save it, to invest it, to share it. They had that right to choose. This is going to play in very important. It was playing in, they touched on it in their episode 12. This right to choose. That the choice, the, the, the right to choose is more important than actually what you do. Then, uh, Let's put it this way. Then merely what you do. It's the choice to do it. That has the greatest influence over you and over the outcome of what you do. It's your intent. But idolatry. What is idolatry? If this you build this statue, you, you no longer have the right to choose how to spend the gold you put in the statue... You've given up the right to choose how to use that wealth. And now it's in some other creation that you've made. And now you're not deciding how to use that wealth. Somebody else is making the decisions on how to use that wealth. So you've given up your right to choose to somebody else. You've made them the God over what was yours. If you put it in to the, you know, uh, Aaron knew the arts of the temple. The arts of the temple was that what you put in is an investment. We see that with the Roman temples. We see that with the Greek temples. That you, what you put in is your share in the temple. And so, but somebody else is making the decisions over it. So there was an accounting of that process. They don't explain that, but if you go and you you spend years studying what they were actually doing in these temples, you would know that these temples worked like banks. And in the banks of Egypt, they had two major commodities. One was gold, which actually belonged to the pharaoh, because the original pharaoh, like I said, the people weren't subject, the Egyptian people weren't subject to the original pharaoh. He had a dream and Joseph came along and told him there was coming a famine and you have to take your fields and plant extra grain in your fields for seven years and put up seven years supply of grain because there's a famine coming. 
and and you will put that up in these granaries that you also built. But he's doing this mostly with his own money. He there is no twenty percent tax on all the people of Egypt yet. That doesn't come until after the famine. There there never was a tax on the labor of Americans uh, before, you know, the Great Depression. Your labor was a hundred percent yours. You were a free people. But when you gave up a right to a portion of your labor in order to get free bread from FDR, you went back into the bondage of Egypt. Nobody seems to be getting that in Jordan Peterson's (laughs) seminar. They just go right on by that. They're talking about those poor Egyptians in the bondage of Egypt. They don't want to talk about themselves. That somehow or other they've lost a right to a portion of their labor. And one of the reasons they, they're starting to talk about hierarchy a lot. And I'm marking all this down in my notes when they mention it and how they mention it. And th- then that causes me to go to our article on hierarchy and, and upgrade that a little bit so that people will understand it. There is a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. But it's a different kind of hierarchy than what we see in Egypt. And it's certainly a different kind of hierarchy than than what we see in Washington, D.C. or in London or in Australia or in China. They all have hierarchies of authority. But in the kingdom of God, Christ is very clear that he is to be greatest amongst you. He isn't going to be greatest because he has more authority over you He's going to be greater because he provides more services to you. And of course those services have to be free will offerings. They, that we cannot sell those services to you. We cannot uh, go in and force you to serve us. See, that's what happens when you, you start creating these hierarchies of authority. Before you know it, somebody is coming and telling you what to do. We just heard on the news before the show started that they're adding all kinds of new IRS agents in this this Road to Prosperity bill that they have, which is everybody, like John the Baptist said, everybody's going to do it by force. Till John the Baptist, everybody was going to try to start their, create their kingdom of heaven, their utopia by force. John the Baptist said, no, we're going to do it through charity. We're not going to do it through force. This is what Moses is saying. And by creating the golden calf, which we call idolatry, what is idolatry? Colossians 3, 5 tells us, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil in, uh, concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry, for which... Things say the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. He's saying that all those things, including covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry is covetousness. And what was happening there, now put this together, that when they were creating this golden statue, this central depository of the golden wealth of the people, that they were breaking off, they were doing it because they were afraid because Moses was gone. 
And they were afraid that, you know, he's not going to be up on the hill with his staff. And if these guys attack us, we're going to be in trouble. We need to bind the people together. We need to create the bands of a society based on the fact that we all have our wealth in one place. And then we will all stay there to defend our wealth. So they gave up their right to choose over part of their wealth, at least their golden wealth. And they put it in this statue. Somebody else is going to have control over that. They're creating a hierarchy of authority because now somebody else has authority over their gold, just like in the city-states of Greece. When they're having a war, Pericles comes along and starts sawing off parts of the golden statue, which he calls the reserve fund, and melting it down to make coins. A lot of people said, don't do that, and he's going to do it anyway. Even up to the time of Jesus Christ with Pontius Pilate, we see the same thing played out. It's right there in the biblical text of the New Testament. Do you, have you, can you think of where I'm talking about? They had, they had an aqueduct they wanted to bring into Jerusalem to bring fresh water in for the people. A public work project. You know, I have pictures there uh, on our website of the actual stones that they carved to make the pipe to bring the water in to Jerusalem. And there was a riot under Pontius Pilate. Jesus brings it up, talks about it. Why were they upset about bringing in a pipeline? Because he was funding it with money from the treasury. What treasury? The Corbin treasury. What Corbin treasury? What they mention Corbin in the Bible once, don't they? In the New Testament, no, they mention it twice. One time they translate it into Corbin, which is not really translating it, and the other time they translate it into treasury, because that treasury was the money they were paying in to the ministers of their temple. They would, you know, pay in silver or gold or whatever, and it would go in to that temple to take care of the needy of society in a social safety net. That's what religion was. It was their social safety net. But they had to pay it in if they had signed up. And that's what made it to none effect. They made the word of God to none effect because they disobeyed that rule we said was primary at the beginning of setting up the altars under Moses was that all the offerings had to be free will offerings. If you miss that, you're going to get off the path. If you miss the fact that those offerings were to take care of the needy of your society, to provide assistance to the needy of your society, and how are you doing that? Who's getting to make those decisions? Somebody's going to have to make. Somebody's going to have authority over that money, that those sheep, the that oil, all those things. They list off all these things that you can give, including gold. They didn't say coin. They said gold. <laughs> but what? They didn't say silver. I mean, they did say silver. They didn't say silver coins. But yeah, you can give gold. You can give silver. You can give uh, oils. You can give. You know, all kinds of things. Sheep, whatever. But have to be free will offerings. The moment they become not free will offerings, you're off the path. And the amazing thing is the Corbin, that's the Corbin of Christ, free will offerings again. That was the Corbin of Moses, free will offerings. 
And we can see that over and over again in the translations. If we go through the text, we will see that. And I have articles up where show you where this is over and over again. But it comes from a word that means to draw near God. If you're not doing it by free will offerings, you're not going to draw near enough God so that he can alter you so that you can receive divine revelation. And in 33, we're going to see that if you don't start that process, uh, which includes putting off your ornaments, not your jewelry, your ornaments, whatever that means. <laughs> if you don't start putting that off, and in running a social welfare system through charity alone, which is what Christ was preaching, what John the Baptist was preaching, what what Paul was preaching, which James was preaching, what Peter was preaching. If you engage in the covetous practices of a central fund that you have to pay into, you you, you will not see the re, you will not have the revelation to see what the Bible is really talking about. And so, if you don't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start fervent charity on a day-to-day basis in your life, you're simply not going to see it. Your eyes will be dimmed. You'll be dark. So you have to at least see that much. That if you're going to live by faith, hope, and charity, you have to create a social welfare system based on charity and not a social welfare based on force. Not the legal charity of FDR and LBJ and all these guys. That's paramount. So we've done that review. There are some other things that we had on that page 32. They were choosing to eat or rather to eat, devour, burn up or feed that which would be served them on a table that was a snare. That's what you did with FDR. That's what you did with LBJ. Is that you created altars of force. Where you had everybody had to pay in. Nobody's left behind. <laughs> but you gave power to men in these covetous practices, which is idolatry. You gave up your power to choose over what is your wealth. Now the other thing, freedom is the right to choose. The right to create for oneself the alternative of choice which you can do when you sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands in free assemblies, without the possibility of choice and the exercise of that choice, that's the doing. A man is not a man, but a member, a person, a subject. I'm adding to it. He only says member. An instrument, a thing. You become merchandise. You become human resources. And that's what you've done already. That's what all those people at the Jordan Peterson Seminar have done already. And they don't seem to want to see it. Which is unfortunate. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up that I also added to the page. There's a several, quite a few things that we've added to the page. Is I've added to this put to death uh, article. Which you can find at Preparing You. And there's a section, The Levites Smite. There's this whole idea that the Levites went through and killed 3,000 guys because they fell, right? They must have fell because they hit them with their swords because they had their swords at their side. And they were going in and out the gates, except for the fact they weren't going in and out the gates. That That's a poor translation. 
They probably did go in and out the gates, but it's very clear that the the word there, in and out, the the word and out is shrub, a primitive root word that actually is defined as to return or turn back. They were turning back those people, if you read the very next verse, the those people who would not consecrate themselves, which is to dedicate themselves to this system of Moses. This free will offering system of Moses. Moses said that all that gold should be in everybody's individual purse. I'll give you a little glimpse. In 33, there's a place in there where they say that the people worshipped from the doorway of their own tent. That is so significant. That is so important to understand how deep that goes. That goes all the way down to the very bottom of your soul. And and you have to go there in order to clean out your temple, your personal temple, so that revelation can come into you. But right now on the page that covers 33, I don't tell you what that is, but I just made reference to it. So anyway, so we'll start 33, Exodus 33, and uh, we can see here that it begins with, and the Lord, which is Yahweh, the word Yahweh, every, every time you see all caps, Lord, that's Yahweh in the original text, said unto Moses, depart and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt. Now he's saying, go up and the people. Thou and the people. But all the people aren't going up. So he's going to make a distinction here. Which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, which is out of the land of bondage, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it. Okay. Very important. Ornaments are not always jewelry. They actually mean something else. Leaven is not always yeast. And the land, I swear to Abraham, isn't geographical land. Now, there may be some geographical land out there, and you can say that, but eventually we have to understand what it means to walk in the way of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Because what is their seed? Their seed is faith. If you're not living by faith, if you're living by force, you're not going to find the land promised to Abraham. Because it's not the thing. It's a spiritual reality. Now, if you find the spiritual reality, wherever your foot goes, that will be the land that God promised you. But if you don't find the spiritual reality, and you're not going to find the spiritual reality if you keep worshiping the objects and the things and the metaphors and the rituals. You have to understand the meaning of the rituals. And even though I can talk to you about it and explain it to you here, you're not going to understand it till you become doers. Because when you become doers, then you can hear directly from God. Right now, you're just hearing from me. That's not going to do you much good. 
But you have to put what you hear into actions, and you have to choose to do it, and you have to choose to do it with a pure heart. And you probably don't have a pure heart. But when you choose to do it, and as you try to do what Moses actually said to do, you're going to come face to face with the impurities in your heart. It's like panning for gold. you got a whole pan full of gravel and sand and stuff like that. And there's a little bit of gold in there. And you, and you keep swirling it around and you, you let some of the stuff wash out. And, and then you pick some of the stuff out. And eventually you end up with the gold at the bottom. You don't do that by reading a book. You actually have to pan the gold. <laughs> and that's what... But Moses is setting up a system where we're going to be all in the pan together. (laughs) And that which is left over will be the gold. And what you saw with the Levites, and you can go read that article, we won't go through it right now, is that those people who would not openly consecrate, dedicate themselves to this way of Moses, 3,000 of them, could not come into the camp. They were turned away. They weren't killed. There wasn't a lot of hacking and blood flowing everywhere. They'll tell you that that's what it was, but I'm telling you that's not what it was. That's why I put it in a section, Levite Smite, right there with the other put-to-death deals. And I'm going to eventually, I've got a lot of verses in there to go over, and we're going to come to some of those verses in the 612 or 13 uh, so-called statutes, I got my fingers up, statutes of Moses, which aren't statutes, which we also cover in a new page that I created. But anyway, verse 2, And I will send an angel, where there could be messenger, before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, the Hevite and the Jebusite. Now, all those names have significance and symbolism in them, but that's what the way Moses wrote them down. And we won't go... I mean, Canaanites, I have lots of articles on what a Canaanite is, but what's a parasite? Is that is that like, you know, like worms? <laughs> well, it's it's a lot of things. Amorites, all that stuff. We talked about Amorites before in earlier shows. What is an Amorite? I could put a uh, link in there so you can understand some of these words, but I don't want to get you off course. But the point is, is that this angel, this messenger, is being sent before you. So you're getting a heads up, but you're you're not getting the message yet. That... God's going to get rid of those enemies. The Israelites aren't going to come in and slaughter all the Canaanites, slaughter all the Amorites, any more than they slaughtered those 3,000 people. And archaeologists are actually getting more and more on my side as they're looking around there. They were not finding evidence of this. So a lot of times their conclusion is there was no Israelites traveling through this area because they don't find evidence of the slaughter. Because they didn't really slaughter. There were battles. At times there were battles. and But everybody has a right to self-defense. So that's another thing. Other than going in and just attacking. 
And then put to death, was everybody put to death? Well, that's why I had to write that, but we'll get to that later. Verse 3, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, full of symbolism in that, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art stiff-necked, lest I consume thee in the way. I told you earlier, there are different words for consume in the Bible. And but he's talking about stiff neck. And it's very un- important to understand stiff neck because that stiff neck is actually two words. The, the word people is om, but stiff neck is actually two words. And it will give you some insight into what those ornaments are. Because when you put down those ornaments, you're supposedly going to be altering your stiff neck. And when we get to reviewing episode 12 of Jordan Peterson, we're going to show you that this literally, there's a lot of talk in the news about, you know, the uh, jab altering people's DNA uh, and retroviruses and all that stuff. It's all about altering your DNA. Well, I'm telling, uh, Jordan Peterson touched on this and we'll tell you exactly where and we'll share it with you later. That if you follow some of the ways that Moses is talking about and that they're discussing, because they're not real far off all the time, it will alter your DNA. And there's studies that coming out that your DNA will literally be altered for the next generation by following the ways of Moses and what he's saying. And they don't even know what those ways are fully yet. They're working on it. It's a work in progress. But neither do you. And this is why we're going to talk about ornaments as well. So in verse 4 it says, And when the people heard these evil tidings that they were stiff-necked people, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. What does that mean? Put on his ornaments. We'll have to cover that when we come back after a brief break. So we'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we see that the Israelites in this this place where they realized that they were being called stiff-necked. And that in order to do something about that being stiff-necked, they had to actually put off their ornaments. And they'll tell you that those ornaments were jewelry uh, that they had brought out of Egypt when the Egyptians gave them jewelry. Except for the fact that that's not what it actually says. They don't use the word ornaments Back there, I mean, Moses himself, this is all written by the same guy, so why didn't he use that word ornaments back then? He didn't. It does talk about jewelry of gold and jewelry of silver, but if you go back to uh, those places in uh, chapter 12, uh, I've added the definition of those words, and it's not even really the word for jewelry. It could be the word for jewelry, but really it's the word for vessels. And, of course, what they were talking about needing is what they were asking for. 
Uh, they're going out to the desert. They don't need a lot of jewelry. <laughs> they're you know, like, oh, I'm going to need to wear this, you know, under the palm trees in the desert. And no, they they were, and it says right there in the verse that they were asking for what they would need, vessels they would need, uh, containers they would need, uh, and they might need gold. Uh, th- that they would need. Of course, you know, we put in a lot of the commas and, and, and everything. They might need silver because they can, you know, they might meet people along the way and be able to buy stuff. And gold and silver are po- portable land. If you come somewhere, you can buy land with gold because it's highly condensed and, and it's valued almost everywhere you go. And so, yeah, they were going to need that. But it doesn't really say anything about ornaments using this word, nor does it actually say jewelry. And it doesn't make sense that they want a lot of jewelry when they go. Now, they had rings in their ears and stuff like that, break off their rings. At least that's the way it translates. Uh, and they, interesting that who's got these rings? They're breaking them off on their wife and wives and their children. What they're doing is taking... Gold was the most portable wealth you could carry, generally speaking. And so they're breaking that off to make this golden calf. That's the inheritance of their children. By breaking off that, that, that gold, they're cursing their children. Remember when we talk about they talk about you know one of the death penalties if you curse your father and your mother, but the word curse there is just slight them. It doesn't mean you know say bad words about them. It means to slight them. And remember, to honor your father and your mother means to fatten them. It means to take care of them, provide for them when they're old. And to curse them is to not provide for them. When they're old. It's just like them. Do not do as much for your parents as you, you are capable of doing. That's cursing them. That's the death penalty. <laughs> well, which is why I wrote put to death. And going to continue to write to that. Because that's not what it means. So, understanding that creating the golden calf was the beginning of cursing their children. They didn't get as far as they were when they got into the bondage of Egypt, but they were certainly on that road. And we explained that in numerous other places that I've been adding to all this week. In verse 5 it says, For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment. In a single moment, quickly, kind of, and consume thee. Therefore, now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. Again, are we talking jewelry? And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. Now, Mount Horeb, Mount can be a single mountain, or it can be hills. 
And Horeb actually means desert. That's the meaning of the word Horeb. So was this, is there a big pile of ornaments somewhere by the Mount of Horeb? And if we can go out there with our metal detector, <laughs> we can find them. <laughs> or did they, when they, it says stripped themselves, it doesn't say, well, we put them in the bottom drawer. And uh, we won't wear them except in the tent when God's not looking. No, it says stripped. But, of course, we're not talking ornaments. I'm going to have to keep reminding you of that. And then we'll go into, as after we get through the chapter, we'll go back and review and see, well, what could that word actually mean? I mean, it could mean ornaments. But this, again, is why I've pointed this out all through the show and through all these many shows these words often have multiple meanings and and how you use them. You know, if you think you got the leaven out of your house, but you haven't got the cruelty out of your house, there's still leaven in your house because leaven means cruelty. If you're still oppressing your neighbor, if you're still forcing your neighbor to contribute to your welfare, that's not pure religion. That's socialism. You still got leaven in your house. I don't care where you put your yeast for the for the Passover. Your house is still full of leaven. <laughs> if you're if you're taking benefits from men who exercise authority and force the contributions of the people, you're not listening to John the Baptist. You're not listening to Moses. You don't even know Moses. Boy, that's going to upset some people. But I, but you can do something about that. If you're not a stiff-necked person and you put off your ornaments. <laughs> so, anyway, so, in the desert there, in those foothills of Horab, they, uh, they stripped off themselves the ornaments. Whatever those ornaments are. Verse 7. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. So they're not there. He went into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord L-O-R-D, capitals, talked with Moses. He talked with Moses at the door. And Moses could talk to him from the tabernacle. In verse 10, And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. I could explain that in greater detail, but let's let's save that. (laughs) 
Why is every man at his tent door? And what is he doing to worship? What does it mean to worship? That That's one of the other words that everybody is confused about. They think worship is waving your hands and singing songs and praising and making testimony of how much you love God. But worship is bowing down and serving. So how are they bowing down and serving God at their tent door? Well, I'll leave you to think about that. Verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua and the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So, what? But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. So he's in the tabernacle there during all this. Number 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Because that's been a tradition now with him, is that like he sent Aaron with him at one time, but I don't know, Aaron's probably in hot water a little bit. That was another thing that I was pointing out back then, that one Moses came to Aaron and said, Aaron, what have you done? What did Aaron say? It seems to be a the same thing we saw in the garden. You know, when God said to Adam, what have you done? Adam didn't throw himself down and say, God, I disobeyed you. I screwed up. I've done wrong. I'm ashamed of it. It's my fault. What, what, did, he, what did Adam say? He says, the woman you gave me, gave me the apple <laughs> He just blamed it on the woman and he blamed it on God. So what did Aaron do? The people made me because you didn't come back on time. (laughs) Where did Aaron say, I screwed up? I didn't hear Aaron say, I screwed up. Did you hear him say, I screwed up? (laughs) No, very narcissistic. And what Moses is teaching the people is a system that makes you immune to narcissism. You can't be a narcissist and a faithful servant of God, worshiping God from your doorway. You, it, narcissism and that just doesn't work. You know, and, and we'll even see where Jesus it points this out. He doesn't use the word narcissist, but he, it, it once you understand this idea that everything isn't about you, uh, but yet, Everything is about you, <laughs> but from a different point of view. He didn't know who was going to go with him, and it's probably not going to be Aaron. He says, now, therefore, I, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Now, I, you know, I was shocked when I was reading commentaries. They think 
this verse 13 is about Moses asking directions. He wants a map. Where are you going to take us? Which way are we going? You know, uh, what roads are we going to take? No, thy way, (laughs) that's such a shallow interpretation. Thy way, thy way of the Lord is the way of Christ. They are the same way. The way has never changed. And we know back from the beginning that the way includes all the offerings coming to his altar to be free will offerings. So if any way whatsoever you're taking care of your personal needs by somebody who exercises authority, forcing the offerings of your neighbor, you've created a hierarchy in opposition to the hierarchy of Christ and the hierarchy of Moses, because Moses and Christ were in agreement. And so that's thy way. He wants to know thy way. He wants to know it, but in order for him to know it, he has to put off his ornaments too. Now, he doesn't have as many to put off as the other people, and we can see that with the way he is constantly pleading for the people. 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Because he only wants to go the way of the Lord. He doesn't want to go any other way. But in 16 he says, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it, is it is added by the translators, is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are Upon the face of the earth, shall we be separate? Shall we be dedicated? Shall, you know, shall we really become the priests to all nations? Well, Israel is the priest to all nations, but Israel does not live by forcing the offerings of their neighbors to take care of the needy of their society. Israel doesn't do that. If somebody's doing that, they're not Israel. Israel operates by free will offerings because all the offerings that... See, if you don't know that the altars are a way of practicing religion and you don't know religion is the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man and you don't know that pure religion is doing it without any force or men who exercise force, then you're probably off the path. You're probably lost somewhere in the wilderness imagining that you know the truth, but you're actually under a strong delusion. And you got more ornaments than you know. Verse 17, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. So this is the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. He's going to separate the people out. He's not going to do it in a moment, which we see back up there earlier. Because they they would die. 
Now we'll talk about that before we go into verse 18. I think we've got plenty of time to do that. But he says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken. He's going to separate Israel out so that they be his people. But where is that? You know, I know where Paris is, and I know where Paris, Texas is, and I know where Israel, the nation is, but I'm not sure where Israel is. I know what it would look like if I came upon it. It would be people who are taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity. That's where Israel would be. Even even uh, Dennis Prager says that. If you're not doing what God said, you're not Israel. Okay. You're right. He's right. Dennis is right. But does Dennis know what that doing curtails? What it involves? Well, that's what we're trying to share with you. And we're, we're going to do it piece by piece. And I know people are going to want more and more proof, so we have that. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, I could, I could drown, you know, I, we could part the sea and let the Chinese run all the way across the Pacific Ocean. And halfway across, we could let the sea go back <laughs> and drown them all. And you still wouldn't believe. <laughs> You know, a couple of days later, you'd be back to your old ways. The only way you're going to believe is that you've got to personally know God. And the evidence that you personally know God is that you're not a narcissist. You're not going to say, well, it's not my fault. This is the system that FDR created for me. <laughs> or whoever created it for you. This is, a, this is the way we do it here. You know, I had somebody very close to me... You know, say, well, this is the way we do it in America. <laughs> yeah, you might do that in America. I, not the way everybody in America does it. It's a, it is the way the U.S. does it. But then U.S. is not Israel. The Israel is where people do it according to the ways of Moses. And if you're going to do it according to the ways of Moses, all your offerings to take care of the needy of your society have to be through free will offerings. If they're not, you're on the wrong path. You're actually engaged in idolatry, covetous practices. You've probably thrown all your gold and silver into the streets. Some of you may have some somewhere, but you don't own it. If you don't own yourself, you don't own your gold. You don't own your land. You don't own your children. People who send their kids to public school are finding out, hey, well, I thought we owned our kids. They're our kids. And they want to fight for it. You want to fight for it. Get yourself right with the Lord. Get yourself right with the way. The way of God. The way of God is that you do this through the perfect law of liberty. If you want to be free, you have to take care of the needy of your society through the perfect law of liberty. And taking care of the needy of your society through forced offerings, including taking care of the needy of your society by creating public schools through forced offerings, which is the way you're doing it now. Yeah, you're all upset that you're losing the power in your schools. But you're always going to lose the power in your schools. You can fight back a little and make a little bit of ground, but you'll be backsliding again because you're not dealing with the problem. You know, it's like you're taking aspirin because you have a fever. But that may end up making you more more sick because you're not dealing with what's causing the fever. You're not dealing with what's causing the illness. I just heard more news 
neighbors who had gotten vaccinated. They've, they've been plagued by flus and illness and coughs and everything, and now they've got whooping cough. Well, they were supposedly immune to whooping cough. How do they get it again? Because this is one of the side effects is that your immune system starts breaking down. And childhood uh, illnesses come back. Childhood injuries come back because you've attacked your T-cells. And they've lost the ability to fight off things that you've been immune to for years and years and years. The only reason I'm mentioning this is so that you understand the spiritual principle that is taking place physically in the world today. If you don't see the truth, your eyes will be darkened because you don't want to see the truth. You don't want to see the light of the truth. And your eyes will be darkened and you will see less and less and less. If you want to see more and more and more, you have to see yourself. You have to see that you've been stiff-necked. Your, your soul is full of ornaments. <laughs> your mind is full of ornaments. And you need to put them down. And you need to put them down. And the only way I know of to put them down is to gather together and create that network of charity to take care of the needy of your society. With fervent charity. Regular, daily charity. You have to do it that way. It's the only way to come. And you'll find it difficult to do that. You'll want to be slothful in doing that. But see, that's one of those ornaments. Sloth is one of those ornaments. (laughs) Those are the things we call vice. Uh, Sloth is just the absence of diligence. That's why they're called ornaments. Partly why they call ornaments. We'll look at that word later, as I said. So, he's gonna, he's gonna separate them out. But then who are they today? Who are the real Israelites today? 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. We will come back and visit that glory. I didn't put any notes in here as to what that means, but you can do it yourself. See if you can come to the conclusion yourself. But he wants to see the glory of God. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock. So before we get into that a little bit further, uh, we're going to run out of time in this before the break to get into it in more depth. But what happens if you love your enemy? What's that like? It's like hot coals upon his head. Because it's the love of God. That's real love is when you love your enemy with the love of God in you, coming through you. It's like hot coals upon his head. Can you imagine what if all the love of God came upon you at one time? It would be too much. It would be like you were in the hell itself. It would burn so much. It wouldn't just be a hot coal on your head. We're speaking metaphors here. But it would 
it would burn your very being. So he's not going to do it in a moment, but he's going to get, he's going to approach the people, and every time he approaches the people, the people are going to have to put off more of their ornaments, and they have to pick up the way of God. But Moses wants to see God, and he says, you can't even, even Moses can't see the face of God. Now he was just talking to him face to face, but it's not the same thing. We're talking about actually seeing his glory. Whatever that means. And we haven't defined that. We're just using an English word there. It's got a lot of preconceived notions. So what is it that he's going to do here? And why is this significant in the stiff neck ornament chapter? Well, we'll have to talk about that when we come back to Keys to the King. <laughs> After another brief break. And we'll see what he sees in the cleft of the rock. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're in this chapter 33 and we're down there uh, near verse 22. And God has said that, you know, you can't see my face. And the word face there is my presence. I mean, it's also translated my presence. And uh, the presence of God is this divine energy. You know, we have a divine spark. The Yod is the divine spark. That's where our revelation comes from. And in our hearts and in our minds, we can receive revelation from God. Everybody can do this. But they can only do it if they can get near God, approach God, come, and they cannot do it if they're carrying their ornaments. That's what he's saying. You gotta put off your ornaments. And they're saying, oh, it's just a symbolism of taking off our jewelry and all this stuff. No, you really have to get rid of your ornaments. You have to take them off and put them off. You have to get them out of your heart and out of your mind. And there's a process to do that. And when they were, at Horeb in the desert there, they started doing that with the interaction that they were going to need because we don't know how many days is going on right here. We don't know how much much time is necessarily elapsing entirely. But And we don't know if this is all done, you know, like there are some events, but then, you know, they put the, the tabernacle out here and then they watch from a distance and they start worshiping from their doorway. But if door, if worshiping is actually doing something, then this is an ongoing process. Because he said he's not going to do it in a moment. If he tries to do it in a moment, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be running across the desert screaming. It will just blow their mind. What happens when you get farther and farther away from the truth... Your eyes get dimmer and dimmer. Just a little bit of the truth will make you go Karen, if I may use that. That Not picking on all the ladies out there, the lovely ladies who are named Karen, but using that as the metaphor. You, you'll, you'll be triggered. You'll go crazy. The farther you get from the truth, the less truth it takes to trigger you. You somebody, you know, I mean, you've seen this in the news all the time, the whole gender thing. And, and you know, if you say Trump in the right group, everybody just goes bananas and all this kind of stuff. Uh, because it triggers them. 
Can you imagine if all truth came out at one time? <laughs> there isn't anybody who's going to get severely triggered and mentally disabled and be screaming in the streets. And this is what they're referring to. This is what they're suggesting. So just a little tidbit in, in the word glory. It, it's, it's actually the same word that we see uh, kabat. Remember kabat? Honor. Honor thy father and thy mother. Right? To make them heavy. To make them fat. To increase them. Now, you know, if you... You know, if your your family, I was just telling somebody in the local town that the big problem was is that I can't get sick. <laughs> if I get sick, what am I going to do with all the extra food? And it was just a common joke that if if you if you were liked in the local communities, only about three hundred people in the town, and you got sick and or you, you something happened, you had an operation or something, all the women would be cooking and bringing over food. And they got pretty organized about it. They said, well, you cook on Tuesday. I'll bring over something on Wednesday. But they were always cooking way too much. And the guy would have all these leftovers and everything. <laughs> he was sick. I didn't feel like eating anyway. And But that was that was just a common thing because everybody was taking care of everybody else. It was leftover from the old days. Yeah, That probably doesn't happen a lot in Portland neighborhoods. <laughs> so anyway. But... That's the kabad, that's the honor, that's the glory. And so now you're going to go tap into the source of creation. I mean, it's like going to a black hole or something. The energy, you know, you're going to go to the sun, Icarus, you're going to get burned up. You can't get that close to it. You just don't have the capacity to it. If it comes in a moment, you're in trouble. And that's probably why people think that there's a hell. It's because when they died, they were getting close to God and that was like hell to them. Because they were the enemies of God. And that's why they think they're going to hell. They think that God's love is setting them on fire. And they call it hell. And we create a whole doctrine about hell. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't other realms. But a lot of times the burning is the fact that you can't handle the truth. But it's it's the word kabod, although uh, there is often when you see this word glory, they've added an extra letter. Uh, they put another vav between the biet and the, and, uh, the delet, which it ends with kabod. Kuf, uh, biet, delet is the word. But that means to fatten, to increase. Well, you can't take all of God at once. You have to take them, but you can increase your capacity to receive God. So anyway, that's where we get into 22, where he says, well, put you in this rock. And he says, and it shall come to pass, while my glory, kabad, passeth by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock. In a cleft of the rock is what that actually means. And will cover thee with my hand. While I pass by. So you just, you know, talk to the hand. <laughs> you just, so that you, you don't get too much. You're just going to get a little glimpse of the glory of God. Of the energy of God. Of the capacity of God. This is the God of creation. Now, you know, the, the idea that the entire God is right there. Who's doing the rest of the work that God has to do? <laughs> well, you know, 
don't read too much into it. Don't, don't, the important thing is that you put down your ornaments. So, verse 23, and I will take away my hand, thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. So, basically this whole story is explaining that there's a lot we don't see. There's a lot we can't see. If we want to see more, we have to do something about the fact that we're stiff-necked. And what will help us do something about being stiff-necked is to put off our ornaments. So anyway, that's where we're at. So what does it mean to be stiff-necked? <laughs> and and stiff-necked is from two words. Kasha meaning cruel, from the word kasha, meaning hard. Now, I say that kasha means cruel, uh, but if you actually go, kasha means hard, cruel, severe, obstinate. Kasha also means to be hard, because it's a verb. Be severe, be fierce, or be harsh. To be hard, to be difficult, to be severe. They go down and everything. They, they try to put it to the, eventually to the idea of being stubborn. Because we translate it into stiff neck and it's actually these two words. So what are the ornaments that we're dealing with here? Uh, the word there that they say is ornaments is an deleth yod. But the word that you actually see in the sentence, it's got an extra letter to it, which is mem. And, and, but that word that we see, just the base word of an delet yod, is translated ornament 11 times. But it's also translated mouth twice. And another time it's translated excellent. So, mouth, is that an ornament? Excellent, is that an ornament? Uh, and there's actually a word, a name, that means the ornament of God. It, it's, it's basically the same word with uh, L on the end, Ariel, the ornament of God. So, if there's an ornament of God, then there has to be something that's an ornament that's not of God. So, is that, is it an idea? What are the other ideas that we have in this word that we call adi or adiem as we see in the text? And it has the, the letters of aon delet and, uh, which is contracted from, you know, another, well, there's several words. There's quite a few words that have this aon delet in it. One of them is witness. Another one is congregation. So these are words. So witness is the ornament part of your witness? Because part of the word for ornament is the word for witness. And is we know that a lot of times the witness you give is by your mouth, but it is also by your deeds. So you ha- we have to kind of fabricate this idea together, and a lot of people don't want to accepted i mean the the, the word uh, the letter in or put them together in delet in means uh divine providence or a fountain what they call the five states 
of kindness or severity. That is what aeon means. The five states of kindness or severity, cruelty, etc. Delet is selflessness, charity. And of course, if it, if we're dealing with aeon as the five states of kindness, that's a good thing. You don't want to put that off. But if we're talking about aeon as the five states of severity, you want to put that severity off. And, and eventually I'm going to put together a page because there are other religious figures throughout history that have talked about these same things. They, they weren't talking about Hebrew, although they knew Hebrew to some degree. And they equate ornaments with characteristics of the individual. These five states. These five states of either kindness or five states of severity. And the delet has to do with selfishness, but if there's something that's interrupting the delet, that is blocking the delet, like pride or narcissism, then you will be less than charity. But delet always has to do with a door or a pathway. And of course, that's what we're talking about. We saw that in the beginning of 33 when he was talking about know thy way. They can't know thy way because they have the ornaments of severity in their life. They have cruelty and selfishness and unforgiveness. All these things are in their life and in their mind and in their being and it's been ingrained in them by hundreds of years of living in a social safety net run by men who exercise authority we know that the temples were the social safety net of the people that's why they had all that grain stored there it was it was a commodity but it was also in case of famine Again, if there was another famine, they would make sure that the people of Egypt didn't starve. This was their social safety net. That was the bondage of Egypt. But the problem with that bondage is it was run by men who exercised authority. They went into that bondage not because God couldn't have provided for them out there in the desert. But they went in that bondage, and I've pointed this out several times now. I'm putting it back in. is because the brothers did not see the anguish of their brother Joseph when they threw him in the pit. They tell you that right in the biblical text. That's why they were going into the bondage of Egypt. is because they would not see the anguish of their brothers or hear his cries. Now the people of Israel are going to have to start to hear the cries of each other. They're going to have to daily answer to the needs of each other. In a system of social welfare operating by free will offerings alone. Same message as Christ. You're not to go to men who exercise authority one over the other, whether they call themselves benefactors or Obama or FDR or LBJ or any of those people or Trump. You're not to go to them to save you, to protect you. You're supposed to come together in the micro, bringing it back to previous programs, in the micro, individually, start caring about one another. Well, you can't care about 320 million Americans. But you can care about nine Americans. 
And you can sit down in t- patterns of tens, hundreds, and thousands. And through that network of fervent charity, you don't just give because you see an old lady on the side of the road with a flat tire. You know somewhere in the world there's an old lady with a flat tire. And if she's in one of our congregations, we are her AAA. And we will come to her aid. And that's what all of Israel does. The real Israel does. So some people over there in that Israel, I'm sure they do that. But if they're not doing it, to whatever degree they're not doing it, they're not ready to receive the glory of God. They're not ready to receive the grace of God because when you get the grace of God, you get the glory of God. And, and, and that triggers people. That gets them upset. They don't want too much light in their life. Like I said, even the word assembly is aundelet. But it, it needs to have the five elements of kindness, five states of kindness written in the hearts and minds of everybody. They don't get written in there because you studied the Bible. They get written in there because you daily choose to do righteousness one to another. And you do it because you love the way of God and you love the way of God because you love God. If you if you don't like that truth, you probably don't like God. And Jesus warned us that many would say that they love the Lord. And they will say, Lord, Lord, and they will repeat these words and they will think they're worshiping God. But they're actually workers of iniquity because in their life they have at least some of the five states of severity. They don't forgive. They don't care about one another. Oh, they say they do. But they don't sacrifice as a witness to what they do. And of course, Jesus talks about the same thing. Do you know where Jesus talks about the same thing? Matthew 5, 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift, which is a free will offering, right? Right? It wasn't always with the Pharisees. They were forcing the offerings with their Gabbai and Molkai at that particular time. In the system set up by Herod where you sign up, you register, you become a member. Because you, you put your right to choose in the power of priests. You don't, you don't ever do that. Moses never said to do that. Herod said to do that. The Pharisees at the time of Christ said to do that. But Jesus didn't say to do that. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift, free will offering, to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. You know, like, Aaron, what have you done? <laughs> You're supposed to leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Put down your ornaments that keep you from your brother. I talked last week about a a rancher that won't have anything to do with this other rancher. He actually does. He's just not going to go into business or partnership with him because he doesn't trust him. But he needs to forgive him, not have anger towards him. Have peace with him. And to some degree he does. You know, I don't want to judge him. I'm going to see him in a couple hours. (laughs) But, uh, but I'm pretty sure he's not listening to the program. <laughs> he's, a, he's a great guy. 
great guy. Known, known his family for a long time. Knew his mother for a long time. Uh, but anyway, verse 24 of Matthew. Leave there thy gift before the altar. No point in going to the altar until you get rid of these ornaments, these five states of severity that are in your heart. Agree with thy thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Love thy enemy. Love you gotta love your neighbor, you gotta even love the adversary. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Now what what's he talking about? Well he's talking to a lot of people that signed up with Herod. That are a part of the system. If you owe the tax, pay the tax. But you need to start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You need to start creating that altar of God. Which only receives the free will offerings of the people. For the purposes of creating a social safety net based on faith, hope and charity. That's going to be a process. If that were to come upon you in a moment, especially this moment, most of you are not ready. You're, you're gonna need the grace of God. Because all the troops of the world are gathering against you. And, you know, somebody sent me a big thing about Trump is behind the scenes and all this kind of stuff. And, and I, I love the guy. But Trump is not your salvation. What I'm telling you is your salvation. The, these QAnon things are distraction. Some of it might be true. Certainly some, I mean, if you put an infinite number of monkeys <laughs> and an infinite number of typewriters, eventually they will type all the great books if they had eternity. But you ain't got eternity. So, yeah, they're wrong. They sent me a video of somebody who was reading executive orders. I've read more executive orders than most people know. I read the original one that George Washington wrote, <laughs> or at least the facsimile thereof. He was ordering dishes for the White House. That was the first executive order. So anyway, this is the solution. What Christ was giving you is the solution. What Moses was giving you is the solution. And they were both giving you the same thing. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. The whole price. Well, we're dealing with a life and death situation today. So you need to set your ornaments down. And that's a process. And out here in this desert of ignorance, each of us has to come together. And in that process of choosing to come together, choosing to sacrifice, not only for those people in our congregation, but through all the other people in other congregations all over the world, that are gathering in the name of Christ, which is the name of Moses as well. Not what what the religions that claim to follow Moses, I mean, the Muslims claim to follow Moses, but I can show you distinct differences. But today, in 33, we saw distinct differences between thy way, which is the word Derek, if you look it up in Hebrew, uh, Deleth, Resh, Kuf, Kuf, but the text shows Deleth, Resh, Kuf, Kuf. There's a double Kuf. So I've had to add to our page on double letters. 
So what is the double cuff? What does it mean? What is what are we facing here? Uh, what is uh, the cuff? It's the crown to actualize potential power from spiritual to physical realm. It's the double cuff in the way of Moses. There's a double cuff in the way of Christ. It's not just physical, take off your jewelry. It's spiritual, and you can only do this spiritually. Remove those five states of severity. And you do it through this process. Start joining the process. Join us on the network. Join us at Preparing You. Start organizing yourselves in the tens, hundreds, and thousands so that you may find grace in the sight of the Lord. That is what we need to do. That is what 33 is telling us to do. And do not pick up the ornaments of severity that have plagued the Israelites, the Christians, and the Christian community, the modern Christians certainly, uh, that are not doing anything like somebody wrote and said, what about street preaching? Is that what we need to do? No, you need to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. And until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.